When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. One day in the pub, Seb and Verity were socializing with hilarity. They knew there and then that their options were vast. They bought some equipment and made a podcast. What do you think? Welcome back to Three in a Bar. We're here for episode four. Yeah. And uh, we've got uh, a belter this week. Who is it, Verity? We have got international conductor and musical revolutionary Charles Hazelwood. Wow. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's the best uh, job title we've had so far. (laughs) It really is. It really is. I uh, read an excellent quote um, about him from The Guardian, which says, what Heston Blumenthal is to food, Charles Hazelwood is to music. And I think that sums wow. him up really well, doesn't it? Because he is absolutely an advocate for bringing the orchestra into the 21st century. He's had a, uh, uh, a big career doing uh, conducting and um, musical directing, composing, curating lots of different projects. He's got so many ideas where, you know, he... He flips your um, expectations of what an orchestra is and how it how it should be experienced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's the founder of the world's first para orchestra, and actually, they made their debut at the 2012 closing ceremony of the Paralympics, which is pretty flipping yes. cool, isn't it? I remember watching that on telly. Yeah. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so good. And I love the fact that like he's played these massive concert halls, like. Carnegie Hall and you know he worked with the LPO and the RPO and then also worked yeah. at Glastonbury and WOMAD and with all these incredible artists like uh Portishead Wyclef Sean I read and uh, wow. alongside like Nigel Kennedy so yeah he's a great guy that's right yeah um so we we had a chat with him over um the internet mm-hmm. uh, as as things uh, that's how everything is done these days. Yeah. And um, it was a really invigorating uh, chat. 
It uh, really was. He was fantastic, wasn't he? Um, yeah. I just feel so, like I rambled. Oh, God, like rather like now. <laughs> <laughs> I rambled on and some of the questions are... Well, you're here very long and convoluted. <laughs> no, it's all fine. It's all fine. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, should we just get on with it then? I let's, think we let's should. Hear the, um, <laughs> let's hear the chat uh, with uh, with Charles Hazelwood. It's weird, isn't it? It's, it's so strange. weird. Yeah. I mean, when at any point in any of our lives as musicians, when have we ever been looking down the barrel of six plus months with literally no performing? I mean, it's totally bizarre. Yeah, really unprecedented is. and bizarre. It is bizarre. And also, it's it's quite interesting because um, people in other industries will be able to go back to work um, in six months. But but it could be that actually we can't at all because especially anything involving audiences is just not going to happen mm. until people we know for sure there's some sort of vaccine or... Yeah. Um, it's yeah. it's a little bit a little bit bleak at the moment it is a bit bleak and of course you know really looking at the bleakest part of it we don't really know how many venues or festivals or other kind of musical organizations will have even survived yeah. uh, because right. that's the, that's the harsh truth of it isn't it if you haven't got ticket income and you've got a great big building which is you know hoovering up resources i don't know how you uh how you get through it so gosh yeah i, I think it may be a leaner meaner world that we look at after this is all done yeah mm. definitely changed you can sort of see people already like seeds of things changing like the way people are going online more with obviously as it is the only way but it's quite interesting you know that these new projects that are springing up so how about for I you, think it you... Is. yeah i mean i think that that's a really interesting point you touch upon there because uh, my frustration with the technology is it promises much but doesn't quite deliver on its promises so for instance i had this idea um years ago actually when google hangout got launched and it seemed to me wouldn't it be amazing to create a kind of virtual orchestra of people playing from every point of the compass throughout the world um, if you could find a, find a piece of music that didn't mind too much about latency and there are such pieces mm. um that, yeah, that could generally be possible but at the time i think you could have probably a maximum of 100 people contributing on hangout well here we are probably a decade later and we've got platforms like Zoom. Zoom confidently asserts you can have up to 500 people taking part in a conference. But of course, as soon as three or four of them are contributing at the simultaneous moment, it loses the will to live because it's not designed to have masses of people. So, you know, it means that, yes, people are going online to do stuff, but it all has to be kind of each individual person has to then submit their recording. Someone then has to sync it all up, mix it and put it back out. So it's hardly the kind of live act of collective witness that we'd like to believe it could be. So that's that's no. my frustration currently. Absolutely. It's so frustrating. Like those, We tried to do a quartet concert where you were going to layer people up in their houses and the delay. Oh, my God. How is it possible that we've not moved beyond this? Can you even do Packard's Cannon ludicrous oh man <laughs> so frustrating and of course it's not it's not just that the platforms aren't uh calibrated to work work in this way but of course broadband is so variable depending on where you are or how yeah. many people are using it you know it, it is incredible and yet we think we live in this kind of um sort of you know uh, online virtual connected way and yet there are so many glitches and problems with doing anything kind of like truly human like music making yeah 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 exactly it's, yeah it's a struggle yeah, i mean if you do record everything separately and then make a video out of it it's so time consuming 
and by the end of it like um, I, I did something this week for just a, for a friend and it, and it it just uh, a family member actually uh, but it it took so long it, it was a great project in the end but but it's hardly just like that thing of just all meeting up and, and just doing duets or something I mean absolutely so that's simple, the point and, it, and, and 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 in this in this strange world that we're living in at the moment, you know, isn't it wonderful that people come out and at a pointed hour at a pointed time to clap in unison, pretty much for yeah. the NHS for our yeah. key workers? It's a fantastic thing. But it's the, that's exactly what we're talking about. Is what we want is mass moments of mass collective witness. Yes. And unfortunately, the technology is just not allowing us to do that in a musically meaningful yeah. way. Absolutely. So it really, it, it's it's those times where we're not using the technology. So when it's eight o'clock on a Thursday, when we just stick our heads out of a window and clap together, that's probably the best moment we get at the moment. And yeah. it's, some of my, I mean, I, I've been, there's been various sort of musical uh, things of pl- playing tunes out the window. So I've been, you know, getting my trumpet out, <laughs> uh, playing <laughs> the street, which I mean, the, my neighbours um, are hearing a lot more of me than, than usual, I'm sure, because they're, they're in their house. But it is fascinating that technology has been slow, so slow to, well, it certainly hasn't moved at anything like the speed we'd like it to. So no. if you cast your mind back to, it's probably about 1992 or three, one of the first jobs I got when I left university was to be guest music director for a month and a half at Banff which is this incredible oh, wow. oh, center yeah. for performing arts in in the western canadian rockies amazing amazing place where you watch elks mating with each other while you're <laughs> composing or, or taking a rehearsal um anyway the internet was just birthing itself at that point and we i thought rather brilliantly at the time thought wouldn't it be interesting if we dialed up our friends at ircam in paris and we played a piece of conlan nancaro where half the ensemble were in canada at Banff and the other half were yeah. at ircam in paris well, of course, it didn't even remotely work. It was a complete shambles. <laughs> but, but, you know, call me old-fashioned or, or kind of, you know, overly optimistic. But I'd have thought by now, 2020, we might have, like, amazing, super-fast ways of connecting digitally with each other. Yeah, completely. Hey-ho, we don't. For you, with Power Orchestra, the places that you go and put these concerts on are just incredible. So brilliant. Some of my absolute <laughs> favourite ones. Like... In the club in Bristol, I know you did a, a show there and, and ones where very much the audience becomes interactive and part like there with the nature of why. And it's just fantastic. Well, was there a sort of a catalyst that really made you think, I, you know, this thing about bringing it in the audience into the concert? Was there something that you thought some moment where a light bulb moment where you thought, I, I need to do that. I need to bring the two together. Well, I suppose, I mean, there are various things to kind of unravel um, from, from what you've just said. You're absolutely right. That's a kind of like, um, has been a kind of like a singular obsession of mine throughout my life. Um, so, yeah, first we'll talk about immersion. Well, no, let's talk about the, the, the bigger core issue. The issue that I've been trying to bring about change within uh, our industry is that, well, for a start, when you experience an orchestra, invariably you sit in tight serried ranks uh, at one end of a shoebox room and the orchestra are at the far end, what you hear is a beautifully homogenised, mixed and perfect whole, right, which is kind of parceled out to you through the airwaves. Now, that's already a kind of slightly odd situation because when I was six, I think it was six or seven, um, I got taken by my mum for the first time in my life to see an orchestra rehearse. And because um, I didn't play an orchestra instrument, I was a chorister. So this is an amazing moment. I was sitting in this kind of vast, empty auditorium all on my own mm. and the conductor, rehearsed, the conductor was rehearsing with the orchestra and he stopped and he turned around and he peered down at me and he said, um, you down there, I think you'd have a better time if you came and sat 
within the orchestra while we rehearse. So I kind of shyly and somewhat sort of, you know, embarrassedly stumbled up the steps onto the stage and made my way into the middle of the string section and nothing prepared me for this kind of eureka moment, this sonic power shower, this tsunami of incredible <laughs> melodic, harmonic, rhythmic information just yeah. kind of piling over me, you know, like a, an enormous waterfall. Um, and I suppose ever since then I've been thinking, that's the experience. Uh, yeah. That's the experience you want people to have. Because let's remember the orchestra is the most perfectly evolved team that exists in, 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 in the human experience. There is no other walk of life where you can have sometimes upwards of 100 people who are working in this kind of perfect synchronicity, like kind of synchronised swimming. And yet, crucially, it's not like the army. It's not like a, a dragoon parade. These are people who've got their own particular beauty and magic and unique talent to bring to bear. And there is freedom and space for them to do that. Mm. And then you've got the fact that it's a pure democracy, that no one is in charge, no one is most important for very long. You know, the oboe has a theme and then suddenly the, the theme's passed to the trumpet or the, the, the first violins. And so whoever's been principal material suddenly becomes subsidiary to someone else who's got the principal yeah. material. And that's the way it goes, as you two well know. Yeah. It's such a beautiful, loving, democratic act, music making. So my various kind of nuts experiments have just simply been to try and reveal that and to in a way rub out what you might call the fourth wall that kind of strange no man's land that exists between audience and artists and I have my beef with orchestras as well because yeah. so often you go to a gig and the orchestra come out on stage they don't even look at the audience yeah and if they look at them it's kind of yeah. like a sort of half smile smile like someone stuck a pin in them and told them to you know they're not Alfred Brendel, bizarrely, who's a pianist for whom I have the most utmost respect, he said once, he said, the audience are, an, are a real, they're a real, they're a necessary evil, I suppose, but they're profoundly <laughs> uh, uh, unhelpful to the music-making process. The wow. music-making process is only about me and the composer and my instrument. And I'm like, mate, you're missing the whole yeah. point of this. Yeah. Music is an act of love. It's yeah. an act of communication. You know, okay. So I hope that explains why <laughs> yeah. I'm determined... <laughs> to shake things up. <laughs> Absolutely, that's, it does. <laughs> that's, um, it's interesting that it was such a, a formative experience at such a young age that created this um, thing you've always been trying to recreate, I guess. But but I, 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 I completely understand that that idea of being, you know, there's nothing like sitting in an orchestra. It's, it's I mean, it's one of the things I miss the most now. Um, mm. So I'm sure both of you do. Um, yeah. but, but there is also something about being in an audience and uh, sitting in the stalls, the anticipation, the lights going down, being on the other side of it. Um, it it's a very different experience and one that I also love equally. Um, and being experiencing what, what a brass section sounds, but from, from the stalls, is that you go, oh yeah, that's what, that's what they sound like. Um, and... Um, and just just the, the lighting and and I don't know that there's also something in that I would argue as well. Oh would no you, question! Would you say? And I'm not for a minute saying you have to you can't have one. No, rather than you should have one and you can't have the other. No, I mean all experiences are valid, and I wouldn't for a minute be wishing any orchestra to give up their symphony hall appearances. That's an integral part of it all. And yeah. you know I think people often misunderstand me. You know when so for instance when I talk about power orchestra. Um, that is genuine in orchestra for the 21st century in one respect because, of course, it's a fully integrated mixture of virtuoso disabled musicians and virtuoso non-disabled musicians. Yeah. 
But it's also an orchestra for the 21st century in that it positively embraces technology. So I see no contradiction in having all the instruments you'd normally find in a symphony orchestra working together with, in bed with, analogue and digital mm. instruments. Mm. To me, not having those instruments as part of the 21st century orchestral palette is is a profound lack of imagination. Yeah. There have been so many extraordinary uh, uh, you know, developments in sonic technology and in in. in qualities of sound worlds of sound that have emerged since electricity was invented basically why wouldn't you want to include include those in orchestra now of course as soon as i say those words people go oh my god he's saying that we should throw (laughs) away our brahms and our beethoven to which i say bullshit of course i'm not saying that we you know brahms is is lifeblood so is bruckner so is mozart my god mozart more than anyone for me i'm not saying do away with that of course audience uh, orchestras are the the proud and rightful custodians of a long and very very noble tradition but why are they wouldn't also be creating new ranks for new instruments and then commissioning new repertoire which explores the extraordinary grey area like yeah. a Venn diagram, that shaded area between where an oboe stops and a moog synthesizer starts. Yeah. Yeah. To me, yeah. that is so interesting. Yeah, that, that Craftwork rework project was just fantastic with the reworking of um, Trans-Europe Express. Just amazing. Wow. I remember those first few bars when we sat down and played it and like the sound coming from the moogs and everything. I was like, oh my God, mm. this is amazing. <laughs> it really was. You it was so exciting. Oh God, it was fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. It, it really does bring people in and it's just not what they'd necessarily expect. It just shows that it's, you know, can be for, that anyone can be involved in it. Anyone as an audience can be involved, that this is something that can bring everyone together. It's brilliant. Totally agree with you. I mean, again, coming back to this point that the orchestra is the most perfect uh, manifestation of teamwork that exists in, in, in human experience. You've got that. But plus the fact that orchestras, you know, the, the great irony that the people, the great unwashed out there, supposedly, who don't come anywhere near ever near a live orchestra, the irony is that they've got the orchestra playing in their front room every day of the week via yeah. a video game, via a movie soundtrack. Orchestras are absolutely the kind of bread and butter of all music making. And so... Again, I think, I mean, I totally take your point, Seb, about there's something kind of beautiful about the kind of Hmm. wonderful hush in a kind of stalls environment. And look, let's face it, the sound of an orchestra tuning up, is that not the most exciting sound that exists? Um, that, I'm not sweeping that aside at all, but I'm saying that there is a culture which has grown up around it, which is nothing to do with the music, but which is all about... You know, human beings are quite tribal. So the people mm. that kind of know their orchestral music, who regularly attend the symphony concerts, it's a bit of a club for them. And they don't really want to share it with people who don't quite behave like they do. So you've got a problem already. You know, if, if there's a sense of rigidity and of being told you must conform, that, that, that there's, a, there's a whole page in the programme book which says these are the things you must not do while you're in mm. here. I think you've already got a problem. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Orchestral music is nothing to do with rules and regulations. And by the way, if the music is really bloody good, the performance is ecstatically good, people aren't going to be talking or eating sweets. They'll be bloody listening. You don't need to tell them how to behave. (laughs) So these are the things which, you know, uh, frustrate me. And, And so as a result, I do feel a sense of wild freedom when Power Orchestra is playing on the park stage at Glastonbury in front of 20,000 people. There is a wild yeah. freedom with that because people are half dead with drink and whatever else. You know, people are, <laughs> yeah. you know, running around, people are snogging each other, people are sort of dying, you know, everything's going on. <laughs> like the whole human experience is there, yeah. but it's in, in celebration of and in, in, and in parallel with the music. Yeah. So that, that's where it feels really special. Well, I, I, I was one of those people um, last year at Glastonbury <laughs> watching your set. Uh, <laughs> Dying and snogging. Oh, I was having a, a wonderful time. 
um, but I, I really enjoyed that. I had some friends playing in the orchestra as well, and um, uh, it it's was the Barry White show. The Barry White show, yeah, yeah. And um, so the, the Love Unlimited synth orchestra, um, yeah. and and um, I, I really enjoyed it. it. It was such a big collaborative um, experience, and, and it it just looked like you were having so much fun on stage bringing out new yeah, guests and singers and absolutely and it people was like really Caprice and Leanne Le Havis and oh, yeah Nadine Shah yeah no beautiful yeah it was it was great actually it was a really lovely project to do I mean that's just one of those kind of like strange little kind of like tunnel-like obsessions I've always had I've always been obsessed by Barry White an yeah. amazing amazing songwriter quite apart from performer and people tend to I think largely Lenny Henry god bless him with his Theophilus P. Wildebeest oh, yeah. remember, which is a direct direct <laughs> piss take of Barry White this kind of huge black guy with like obviously got you know a big set of tackle um and uh <laughs> yeah so you know Bar- poor old Barry you know he's he's, he's slightly He's become some, something that people joke about, whereas the tunes are so bloody good. And more to the point, yeah. the arrangements are so good. And more mm. to the point, this wasn't a guy that just went around with a kind of like four to the floor rock band. He had a whole orchestra touring with him, the mm. Love Unlimited Orchestra. Yeah. So I've always had this kind of like weird little fetish about trying to kind of rebirth that, but very much through our reconstituted orchestra, where not only have you got a mixture of analogue and acoustic and digital instruments but more to the point the composer Charlotte Harding and god she's good it's amazing um, she's oh, sitting yes. at the mixing desk out in the park that's right uh, yeah. and she is manipulating crushing filtering mixing reworking every single instrument in the orchestra so the orchestra at that point becomes like a giant synthesizer and that in itself I think is quite cool that's yeah. really the orchestra cool. is the original synthesizer let's not forget that way before any moves were invented yeah 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 right. and uh, Glastonbury you you I mean you've got a long history of uh, a long relationship with Glastonbury. Um, does that date back to to as a as a sort of teenager? Did you go because you're from the same sort of area, right? Yeah, um, the, all my roots are in the West Country. No, I never got to go to any festivals when I was younger because I I come from quite um, humble background and there was never money for things like that. Mm. So and also, you know, I'm really bloody old. Can I just point that out? And when I was young, <laughs> no, festivals no. were yeah, afraid so. <laughs> fe- fe- festivals were less of a thing. I mean. Um, I didn't even see a live gig outdoors till I was about 19. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's, you know, and of course, in direct sort of contradiction of the weather, or the shocking weather we have in our country, it's uh, kind of amazing that there's been such a proliferation. I can only think it's because we don't have, most people don't really go to church or to a synagogue or a mosque. You know, most, most people don't really go do religion anymore. And that was a moment where people would come together, sing together, you know, kind of experience some kind of, upliftment some joy some look at some dark sad things or whatever that it was a collective thing that people and I think you know human beings need those moments so if you like the rock festival has become has replaced that as something we still very much need need as 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 animals Mm, really um but yeah so I didn't go to Glastonbury when I was a teenager um I think the first time I went to Glastonbury was the first time I performed there which is probably it's probably that National Youth Orchestra gig we did on the Pyramid stage in the driving rain to an audience of about 20 people. Oh, wow. Was, oh. Was, yeah. yeah. So that was well, on the Pyramid stage, people, right? Yeah, on the Pyramid stage. You know how big that field is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you picture? There were literally about 20... Well, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Maybe there were a couple of hundred people... <laughs> Yeah. On a on a on a field which normally holds eighty thousand. Do you know what I mean? It was um yeah, oh. and, and horizontal rain, horizontal oh. rain, dreadful. Wow. But anyway, um yeah, there've been many many kind of glorious experiences since then. And and yeah. Emily Evis has become a really good friend of mine, and her beautiful husband Nick Dewey. Yeah. They're kind of calling the shots and running that amazing behemoth of an event these oh, days. Yeah, it's done incredibly. Um, 
It's amazing. Yeah, it's I feel your pain though because I was at Wells Cathedral School for my sixth form, and I they used to um, timetable the chamber orchestra tour for the Glastonbury weekend, and I'm pretty oh. sure it was not a coincidence. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely heartbreaking. Can't believe I've <laughs> never been. It's terrible. <laughs> it is terrible. <laughs> Yeah. But well, so that, lovely um, that it's a home festival for you. It's just, it must make it even more special. It does, actually. And um, in fact, I'm just thinking, um, Verity, your partner, Rob, um, leads the orchestra when we do the Carmen Project, uh, sorry, the Crawford Project, and we played it, one of the most ecstatic festival, like rock festival gigs we've ever experienced, or something that I've ever experienced, was at WOMAD last summer. Oh, yeah. And we did Crawford, we, we reworked that. And it was just like the roof lifted off we were in a giant tent on those enormous kind of big tops and it was absolutely round with people um I, yeah it was just incredible oh. incredible incredible moment yeah um there's something beautiful about that that kind of environment and again it is partly because people are totally free to be however kind of unraveled or raveled that they wish yeah. you know it yeah. doesn't have the trappings of a theater or a concert hall again i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those places but this is an altered way of experiencing the might and the splendor of an orchestra absolutely yeah. that's amazing When you're when you're there at somewhere like Glastonbury or, or WOMAD, I get that it's such a special thing, but it it's the sort of almost the utopia and and but and you people you know people talking to the crowds that they'll say something maybe slightly left leaning politically and everyone will, will go yeah 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 and so you kind of get this full sense because you've been there for like three or four days and then you think well this is it life's going to be great uh, <laughs> and you go back yeah. back home and you go oh no. Oh man, it's so interesting you say that. I mean, d d doesn't doesn't social media feel like the same thing? You see, there I yeah. was all wrapped up in my little bubble leading up to the the last election, the end of last year, thinking, oh, it's okay, everyone's seen the light now. We're going to get rid of Brexit <laughs> and we're going to have a more left leaning government. Oh, uh, what uh. an idiot was I! <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, because of course it just it it, it organises itself. So it's just the people who tend to think the same thoughts as you who are around you in a big bubble, and yeah. you don't know about what everyone else is saying, which is probably completely opposite. So yeah, I learned yeah. my lesson there. Yeah. That yeah. sort of leads on to what I was I was going to ask you about next. It's just this whole thing of how it seems like uh, the whole country is always leaning more on uh, music and the arts now in this time when we're locked down. We're all sort of isolated. Nobody can be together. Um, there's a feeling of sort of community through the arts and music. And I was wondering whether you thought this is something that might become a change now, that there might be more a, a different relationship with the arts coming out the other side of this i think that would be that that's a, that's a really wonderful that's a beautiful vision and a beautiful way of reading what is currently happening yes you know even though if, if you put on one side the fact that technology is frustrating and glitchy and doesn't work in the way that we would like it to work not in an ideal way but nonetheless if you've got someone like gareth malone brilliantly getting a choir yeah. of fourteen thousand people together to all sing down their laptops or their smartphones he receives all these little recordings he syncs it all up and then you can look at this kind of like zoom to the power of max kind of screen where there are literally thousands of faces all joined in song it's a sense you can get up close to them because they're right there on your screen in front of you and i think that's that's wonderful and again if i could 
have my way and wave a magic wand and, and, and remove all the kind of technological obstacles, wouldn't it be incredible to... Well, for instance, Verity, you know about our Anatomy of the Orchestra project, yeah. which is another one of these kind of immersive ones where we birthed it at Colson Hall about two and a half years ago. The idea was you've got a 60-piece orchestra, you spread them out over a 60-metre radius, every musician raised up on a plinth, but all quite separate from each other. And the audience can wander hither and thither amongst this sort of giant sonic installation. Now... That's amazing. That's an incredibly human experience for an audience member to be able to walk right up close to a piano as it's being played at, at, at like at total volume and even hugging the side of the piano, feeling those vibrations or indeed sitting on the plinth where a double bass is being played or being just downwind of a contrabassoon. These are all really interesting and very human experiences for people. In an ideal world, you'd better recreate that on the internet. And so someone could be sitting in front of, again, a Zoom-like set of squares on a screen and they could mix and they could kind of focus in on whoever they wanted to. Wouldn't that be wonderful? It really would. We've we've always known, haven't we, that, that there's something wonderfully democratising about the internet. Now, that can be an encouraging thing or it can be a frustrating thing. I'm sure you are the same as me in knowing the particular singular kind of pain at reading someone's posts saying you're a total arsehole and they hated the way you played that piece. They think you're a complete dick and you should go and die. You know, the way that people write very angry things yeah. online about stuff which makes them cross. Um, yeah. Now, that, that's, gets it all you know, the time. That, all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. It's my yeah, life. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, my heart goes out to you. But the point is that, that you know, whilst that, that it stings, it, it's still great that everyone has a voice, everyone has a platform on the internet in a way that in the old days they didn't. Uh, so I think there is something about community and about everyone it being a great leveller. Um, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, look, who knows what it's going to lead to? Mm. Who knows what the world will look like afterwards? I'm wondering if I might do an awful lot more of my meetings on Zoom for, uh, afterwards, though, because it's just so nice not to have to go anywhere. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things are going to change so much with it. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. Um, mm. But maybe just, uh, uh, maybe I might, might have to do some YouTubing or something. I mean, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I'd have to be thinking about that. But, oh but, there's, but there's, yeah. there's going to have to be ways. We have to, we're all going to have to start thinking of ways and trying to monetize it somehow. Yeah. Because well, that's, that's we're going to have other... to do something else. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, look. I, I so mean, I'm being again. Look, no, I know it, it does all feel very bleak, but we must, we must, we must hang on to the yeah, kind of yeah, core yeah. belief that there will come a time when things are as they were before, where people will be able to freely move, do what they want, make their own choices, go and see gigs, and people will need gigs more than they've ever needed gigs. You know, people need music. Music yeah, is the most universal language we have as a species. You know, beyond any dialect or tongue, you can't strip that away from people. It's like a lifeline, I think, to pretty much everyone on the planet. So I don't think we'll be out of a job, not entirely.
think um, a thing that I've seen you do on, on some videos, uh, uh, particularly your, your TED talk uh, I watched, and um, get, you know, uh, getting the audience to to sing along or, or uh, join in, um, and that is such an instant way of of just proving that everyone can make music. It's it's in us, just at, and without any any training, any conscious training going on at all. Um, and it, how how powerful that is singing in a group it creates such a sense of community and belonging no question how powerful I mean, is that it's, yeah. it's very powerful and it's very sad that a great many people grow up in our culture or any culture throughout the world sort of coming to learn or being told perhaps that they have absolutely no ability whatsoever yeah. as a singer or a rhythmist or anything and 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 how much that kind of cauterizes people going forward mm. i remember one of my boys was told when he's about six that he sounded like a cow when he oh. sang and you know poor darling he definitely has some kind of you know hang-ups about singing ever since he's now a beautiful 22 year old man and he's still definitely not the first one to kind oh. of like open his lungs oh. um yeah it's very sad and more to the point you know uh, something that i think about a lot is that, of course if you've got a disability that makes you profoundly different from most people say you've got let's say you've got quite advanced or significant cerebral palsy i'm thinking about this specifically because a beautiful beautiful founder member of power orchestra lynn levitt um is one of the founder members of the group she she died last week and uh which is devastating yeah Yeah, it's devastating and the thing with her is that with that kind of really quite advanced cerebral palsy she 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 couldn't communicate she couldn't uh, speak in the way that you or i speak she had to type the characters out on an ipad with her nose and then at the end of a sentence this little program would speak the sentence out so there's an enormous amount of patience that went with her but her music making oh my god she's an incredible electronic musician but the average person would see her in her wheelchair and would instantly assume that there would be nothing much going on intellectually or or creatively within her and how wrong they would be to make that assumption yeah totally yeah god you know everyone can make music everyone has music in them i mean every small baby sings along to things and moves to things and has an intrinsic innate instinctual rhythm and sense of melody in whatever form that may be i mean it may be that they don't sing the notes at the same pitch as someone else hears them but who's to say that when you look at the color brown you have the same experience of it that i do i mean we don't even know if we if we kind of you know um, synchronize in that way uh, yeah. but somehow you know our culture is quite unkind and quite exacting and people who don't quite fit the kind of central central corridor as it were people who are a bit to the left or to the right tend to get pushed out of the way don't they because they don't quite conform to a one particular yeah. uh, a pattern or shape and that to me is a tragedy so yes of course getting a bunch of dried up um conference attendees at ted <laughs> to sing their lungs out for a yeah. few minutes is probably a good thing to do absolutely yeah. it's funny with our, our uk audiences i think we're all pretty much very similar quite self-conscious when asked to do things like that um and i i think that's a cultural thing because i, I mean 
you've done a lot of work in South Africa. I imagine yeah. if you tried the same thing there, that you wouldn't have much trouble getting them to, oh my God. to join in. <laughs> I tell you, it's hilarious. If you put on an opera or a piece of theatre in South Africa, basically the noise of the audience completely outplays any of the noise you can make on stage, however big, because they're all singing along. You know, it's all constantly singing along. Even with music they've never heard before, they'll improvise something yeah. in real time to what they're hearing. Because, you know, in South Africa, there is such an, a deep vein virtuosity over music making no one reads music everyone mm. learns everything like at lightning speed by ear so you've got a crowd of, of you know 50 south africans you can teach them a tune in five seconds flat and then without anyone saying a word they will improvise 40 part harmony around that tune because they can do that wow. well, i'm sorry the lpo the lpo cannot do that no. right no. so it's very interesting <laughs> it's a different it's a different paradigm um yeah, I mean, I, I think singing is, is, is so important mm. and it's so sad that so many people sort of lose their confidence with it or sort of lose their connection with it. It must um, go because... right back to the very beginning of your music education, really. So, you yeah, know, I think so. it's, it's got to be picked up at those early stages and then seen through, hasn't it? I think there seems to be like big patches uh, where mm. kids just don't get it, going, you know, don't get the opportunities to sing together. But also there's this kind of idea, this sort of atmosphere that's put around that singing isn't cool, which is ironic because our football has the greatest singing of any football nation yeah. in the world. No question. Yeah. Right. So you've got hundreds of thousands of people turning up at, at football stadiums right across the land who are basically going to sing their hearts out for 90 minutes. And yet we're still we still kind of grow up in this culture says so singing is something that, you know, not something that cool people do. It's baffling. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd go further than that. I'd say... You know, if, if I was like God or if I was like in charge of the whole planet, I would like make a decree that every parliament had to sing in harmony for a few minutes every morning before they started <laughs> debating brilliant. because oh, there'd be more Oh, if only you were in charge flow. of it. If only you were. <laughs> no, 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 that would be something else, wouldn't it? <laughs> Prime Minister's questions would be just 100% better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, leader of the opposition. You can only ask me a question if you can frame it as a part of an eight-part fugue. How's about that? <laughs> Off you go. I think that's the thing with um, our, for want of a better word, Western way of, of learning music. Um, it tends to be sort of notation based and that can just put people off immediately. If you've got to suddenly learn a new language at the same time as learning an instrument, it's, it's really hard, isn't it? Well, it's interesting you say that. And of course, arguably, now we have incredible uh, recording apparatus at our fingertips. Arguably, the need to write things down has become even less uh, crucial mm. uh, in one way you can you can see what i'm saying can't yeah, you yeah. That, that, yeah. That, that of course people learn things by ear and and i think what's problem the problem really is that as ever human beings are unimaginative and we think there's only there's black and there's white so if you don't learn to read music you're lost you're an idiot you'll never get anywhere in music whereas the answer is some people will learn to read music and it's a very very useful tool to understand what mozart meant by a particular phrase marking 
But equally, you can become incredibly good at music by just using your ear and not ever learning to read music. They're yeah. both valid. Mm. Yeah. So again, Absolutely. we get into like, well, we don't like you because you haven't done it like we have. So therefore, you're not valid. It's is is a, is a nonsense. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, I guess uh, it tends to be through, so that sort of classical roots that people learn the mu- um, how to read music, and then people that that play in bands. I mean, this country's got such a great list of bands and and artists i mean that it actually contributes so much to the the economy as well Uh, it's it's a massive thing to invest in yeah i mean isn't it i mean i'm pretty sure it's either now i think it's probably the second uk plc's second largest international export is music second largest yeah i think we have i think i might say we have a larger market share in music uh sales than any other country in the world including america i think i'm right in saying that so i mean god yeah so then you look at the uh, the people who are in charge of education at government level and you wonder what they think they're doing when they're kind of hacking back at at all the humanities what why would you do that when actually that's making a lot more money for the country than many of the other things that used to make money um yeah i I think this this thing about i mean the, the the reading notation thing is really interesting because i'm sure you've both come across this a lot when you're working with people from the rock and roll side of the tracks invariably there's an enormous enviousness actually they're really envious when they look at classically trained musicians you can just like bland their way through something they've never seen before there it is on the page pick up the instrument boof and it's done and it sounds incredible and the, the rock musicians going how on earth do you do that i wish i had that skill now in South Africa, in the black cultures I'm particularly talking about in South Africa, where there is absolutely no tradition of notation, there's a certain amount of tonic sulfur that people use as a way of kind of anchoring themselves. But because they haven't had that page-bound language to learn, it means that their ears are so much more adept. It's a funny thing about classical musicians, one 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 area that I often find them weak is their ear isn't very good in terms of yeah. recollecting, recalling, storing away. Yeah. You know, you, a South African hears a tune once and can give you an absolutely perfect uh, uh, mm. a, a rendition of it. Whereas here, because we're so used to reading rather than listening, yeah. there's something which goes on there. Look, no, no method or, or, or means of making music is, is right to, to the to detriment of the others. No, no way is, is right and all the others should be lost. I think they're all just part of who we are and what we are and we just all need to be open to each yeah. other. God, yeah. you want to be able to read a Bach score because there's so many fantastic details yeah. in the way that he writes. So you're going to learn so much more and it's going to inform your playing of that music so much more if you can read it. That's a just... It's a given, isn't it? Mm. But equally, you wouldn't want to be playing Led Zeppelin's back catalogue by chomping your way through a chord book, would you? No. That would be shit. <laughs> quite, quite. That's it. And it all um it all influences the other as well, doesn't it? So if you've got if you've got a bit of if you start playing by ear, start doing some of that kind of work and then come back to reading notation, it really helps. I just find that everything that you learn, every little element that you pick up, um it all influences what you're doing in other areas it's just so useful that's so true verity and and don't you also find that when you learn a piece from memory that then there is an extra new layer of freedom which emerges because you've absorbed all the detail of that syntax on the page and you've internalized it and it comes out in this kind of wonderfully free way which is all about you it's your unique uh, a rendition of that of that piece of, of musical narrative no one else could do it quite the same as you because we're all unique that's a beautiful thing too yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah it's all good it's all good, it's yeah. all good. <laughs> <Everything>. <laughs> so 
so what's up next for para orchestra once we get past this little hiccup um have you got do you know are you have you got things coming up ahead or are you waiting to see no we've got we've got a number of projects which well uh, yeah certain projects that we've had to not furlough exactly but sort of hold back and they're instead of premiering them later this year they're going to be premiered at various points next year we hope but of course there's yeah. a number of pieces of the jigsaw that have to be put back in place will the venues still be able to partner up with the work will arts council still be able to help support the work these are things we don't know but in terms of the art itself yes we've got Probably our most ambitious project to date, which is a, a rampantly exciting thing called Beethoven Rendering. Obviously, this year, big year for Beethoven, 250 years old. Mm. Um, I've for years had a, a kind of strange obsession with his sketchbooks. I'll tell you why. You know, when you consider the pantheon of, of top level genius composers, your, your Mozart, your Bach, your Beethoven, your, your Brahms, there's a, there's a real danger, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, and I look at those guys up there in the clouds and think, God, you know, I can't even breathe the same air as them. I have no idea. I, yeah. I can't really connect with them because, mm-hmm. you know, you look at a page of a Mozart manuscript and you know for a fact these are his first thoughts out onto the page. Not only are they fully scored, like there is not one single moment of doubt, a correction, a change of heart. It's just blah, 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 there. Yeah. So yeah. don't know about you, but for me, that's... That's unthinkable. That's that's not reachable, right? So he's he he did breathe a different kind of air. He had a different kind of genetic makeup. Now Beethoven, on the other hand, no less a genius than Mozart. What's so heartening and human about Beethoven is that you realise every piece of music was a colossal struggle. And so these sketchbooks, take the Fifth Symphony. There are eight years worth of sketches. Wow. of trying, failing, oh. trying again, partially succeeding, failing again. Such frustration and torment. At times his nib has gone through three pages at once. He's so furious and he's just trying to scrub something out that doesn't work and he can't understand why it doesn't work. So at this point you realise, God, the man was all too human, just like the rest of us. Yeah. And so when you then listen to the finished article, having looked through all of the years of struggle and all the little bits of DNA which started to grow and morph and change and coalesce and then get thrown away and then reborn again, you realise, wow, this is an amazing human act. Uh, so, Fifth Symphony, one of the most iconic pieces he ever wrote. I've always wanted to play that piece with an orchestra, playing from memory, but fully choreographed in a space, a flat floor space, where the audience are, again, as we say in my projects, right in the middle of it. That The audience yeah. can, are free to wander wherever they like, and the, the orchestra are split up into a multiplicity of different formations, minute by minute through the piece. So different moments of musical action cropping up like promenade theatre at all points of the room, all points during the piece. But in addition to that, rather than just playing Beethoven 5, not that there's any just about playing Beethoven 5, <laughs> I wanted to see, would it be interesting... And of course, I don't have Beethoven's ears. I can't ask him if this is okay, but I'm just trusting it is okay (laughs) to basically open the lid on this box, which is full of all the sketches, all the unborn children of the symphony, to commission four brilliant young composers to grapple with these sketch these sketches these bits of dna which didn't quite make the grade or partially through a series of 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 developments or changes did make the grade they're all sketches that there's some part of them will recognize there's something that ended up in the symphony that has some common ground so they've all got this kind of it's like they're all related they're all parts distant parts of the same family wouldn't it be interesting you had four composers taking these sketches as starting points for new material which might 
ambush a bit of the Beethoven symphony, might get laid over the top of it, might be uh, an episode line within a movement, might be a whole chunk of material that occurs between two movements. So the audience are getting a, a very, very kind of vital and different experience of Beethoven all at once. They're being able to wonder and seek out what they're curious about, what attracts them, but also they're hearing all these distant echoes, these little unborn children mm. who never quite managed to make it through. So that, I hope, that's underlines the, the sheer yeah. humanity of the man. And um, God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah well, I think it will be. And, and the amazing choreographer, Caroline Bodic, who choreographed Nature of Why, she's going to come back over from Australia to choreograph the whole orchestra. Brilliant. Um, and wait, have so you got your composers? Premier... Are the four yes, composers, four, are, yeah? Yeah, four, <laughs> four amazing composers. So um, uh, Charlotte Harding, who we've yeah, already she's mentioned, who, who was an yeah, incredible young composer. She, she was at the centre of the Crawford Rework Project um, and she was the absolute genius behind the Love Unlimited Synth Orchestra. Uh, she is one of the four. Then there is our own Lloyd Coleman, Associate Music Director Brilliant. of the Orchestra, founder member of the group, the most phenomenally brilliantly gifted musician that ever walked the earth. Um, then the third composer, Gareth Churchill, who's an amazing, amazing young composer based in Wales. Really exciting sort of new voice on the scene. And then the fourth composer is already very starry. She's called Hannah Kendall. She's based in New York these days, teaches at yeah. Columbia, doing all these kind of like big, grand, impressive commissions for big, grand, impressive organisations. <laughs> so we're very lucky to have her <laughs> to complete our quartet. That's amazing. So we would have premiered it at the end of October this year at Wales Millennium Centre, who have been our fantastic um, partners and kind of like co-conspirators, accomplices in this particular project. Um, we hope that we can still work with them next year, but of course, nobody knows what next year will look like. So that's that's the kind of one of the big headline uh, projects. Then we've got a beautiful um, smaller scale project we're developing with Hannah Peel, incredible electronic musician. Um, if if for no other reason than it's sheer joy, just anyone listen to this, go on YouTube and type in Hannah Peel, uh, Tainted Love, right? Remember that song, Soft Cell? Tainted yeah. Love, yeah. oh. Um, and she's made a little music box that plays the accompaniment while she sings incredibly softly that song. Oh, it's nice. just, it's brilliant. Oh. And she's, she's incredible <laughs> with that. Uh, with every kind of electronic instrument under the sun. She's got an amazing imagination. So she's creating a piece for us, which I hope would premiere towards the end of this year. Um, then there's another project where I want to... I've got this obsession with um, bandstands. You know how they're these kind of like perfectly painted, but utterly redundant, forgotten, ignored, unloved little yeah. things that sit in parks in yeah. towns yeah. everywhere. For, you know, relics of a bygone age when there was a brass band that would entertain the public. The thing is, you know, back in the like 18th century, in fact, actually stretching far back as Roman times, there were these things called pleasure gardens, which were basically public spaces where people would come and wander on a nice sunny afternoon and have some entertainment, eat some food, probably get drunk, just have a jolly time. Um, so to me, the bandstand should and could lie at the centre of such an enterprise. And because we've got this whole project based around anatomy, the orchestra, where we've developed a way of an orchestra being able to play very far apart from each other, there's no reason why you couldn't create all sorts of kind of like sonic experiences for people, but in an open air setting and with your bandstand at the heart of it. So it's another one we're trying to mm. get going. Um, and uh, lots yeah, of ideas. You know, and, yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> lots of ideas. Yeah, I can't stop them. In fact, in fact, ever since the lockdown, they've been coming out of me like, oh, I don't know, like uh, food poisoning. No, not like food poisoning. <laughs> just, uh, I mean, that's they, good. Been You've been having ideas. It's, I've, I've been just having really horrendous dreams, not ideas. Ever oh, since lockdown. You... Yeah, and I read it's a thing, apparently, that, that the, night, the lockdown nightmare is a real thing. 
It's very, yeah, they're weird. It I've had things about dreams about like moving double bases around and things. It's really, oh, really weird. Don't, don't try it. It's no. what, I'm breaking a nightmare. I mean, yeah. Break the double base. I mean, often. It's not, it's happened more than once. I've dreamt about double bases more than once. I, yeah, I've broken them. I just can't get them where they're supposed to be going. I mean, goodness me. It's obviously some deep rooted problem I've got. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny you say that. I, did, I had a recollection the other day. There was definitely um, a scene when two of my boys were really small and they were having one of their very regular fights, which ended up on the floor and they ended up landing on a cello and they basically flat packed the cello. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh, God. So that's definitely an image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you before we set you free to come up with more fabulous ideas. Um, so, since we've all got so much time on our hands now, I was wondering if you've got any listening recommendations. You've given us a couple already, which is brilliant. Um, any listening recommendations, something which just you're really into at the moment, anything new? Yeah, well, for me, um, a very diet is always key. I just find that's what I naturally want. Uh, that, that, so this morning, I've been getting up really early for some reason, which I think is not entirely bad. It's not because of trauma or terrible dreams. Mm. I just sort of get up because it's the, the weather's very bright and, and I just have a hunger for music and I have to go into my studio and get something on. So this morning, um, and it's not the first morning, I, I've sort of rediscovered my rampant joy for the late Shostakovich string quartets. Oh, and um, yes. so uh, Shostakovich 14, 14th and 15th quartets and I've got a wonderful old crackly LP of the Fitzwilliam string quartet recorded back in the 70s, I should think, which just takes me somewhere extraordinary. And then following that this morning, I can't recommend that highly enough, following that this morning, I got really stuck into this. A, a very very interesting avant-garde 70s composer called Tony Conrad who got together with a kind of trance krautrock outfit called Faust in Germany oh, yeah. and they recorded a drone piece called Outside the Dream Syndicate and I can't recommend highly enough play the Shostakovich very loud because obviously <laughs> it's very loud and then play the Tony Conrad Faust dro found dro dro drone piece Tony Conrad and Faust drone piece and I tell you by then you'll be ready for a hearty breakfast <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Thank Excellent. you. <laughs> well, um, we've just we're, we've started doing a, um, a sort of Spotify playlist for this uh, podcast, so we'll, we'll add that to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, great. yeah. I'll have a listen after this. <laughs> mm. um, great. I, I, I don't. Know, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go? No, you got you got to head off, Charles. But, um, I think we've talked about all the things. We talked about everything in the world, apart from how to make the best chicken stock. That's the only thing we haven't covered. Oh, oh. God. <laughs> Wow. That's well, a I don't, I'm a vegan these days. I <laughs> are you? <laughs> I am these days, yeah. yeah oh, I am. very good. Yeah, we've just I tried had it for I, uh, a bit. It's, I did, it's, I it's, yeah, I think <laughs> veganism is, is, is worth doing because you save an awful lot more CO2 emissions from the planet than, than not driving your car to the supermarket. I mean, you can make a much more significant um, yeah, that's true. Uh, a change in your carbon footprint by just stopping eating meat and fish, which is unfortunate because I love meat and fish. Oh. Occasionally we do eat meat and fish, but by and large we're a plant-based diet these days, yeah. Oh, I don't know good. why I'm telling you that, but no, I am. Well, that's all interesting. <laughs> it's good to know. We've just had a massive delivery of vegetables. <laughs> got two boxes of vegetables downstairs at the moment. It's oh, all kind of wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do with all those potatoes. <laughs> you tried eating them raw. <laughs> that's, that's week seven. Yeah. Week seven ah, lockdown. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Charles. It's a total treat to talk Thank you, to you. Charles. Yeah, total, total pleasure. Really delightful to talk to both of you. And um, happy lockdown days, as they say. Yeah. And to you. <laughs> <laughs>
that was Charles. Yeah, great chat with Charles. Um, I'll tell you what. I remember when I uh, when I got off of the the chat, I um, I was really tired. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was I was I haven't had a uh, an intellectual. I mean, you know, with all greatest respect to my wife, yes. I haven't had a, 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 an intellectual chat about music or, or culture like that in a very long time, and I uh, I, I was drained but in a good way absolutely and also you know that thing where you can see yourself as well as everyone else on zoom and i i yes. glanced at myself at one stage during the <laughs> during the chat and i was just grinning like an idiot because i was trying to, to look like i'm really concentrating i'm really interested which i absolutely was but the face just screamed <laughs> idiot <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the, the beauty of podcasts. No yeah. one can see Thank God. your face. Um, <laughs> so, so what yeah, have you been up was, to this great. week, Seb? Um, what have I been up to? Well, I started off, um, I've been doing lots of practice, which I've been really enjoying. I think, I think last time we talked, it was like all, all the time before, I was like, oh, I'm going to start practicing again. Yeah, and, well uh, done. I've been really enjoying that. Um, but then a thing happened the other day where... So we, our back fence, right, mm-hmm. um, was falling down. It's quite a bit windy, wasn't it, a few days yes. ago? Yes. And um, so I went out. I was like, right, I'm going to bang bang some nails in the fence, put it back up together so it looks okay, and uh, started doing it. And then after about about five minutes of banging in nails, I suddenly felt like, oh, I should probably put some hearing protection in because this is quite loud. Yeah. And then, so I did that, but I thought, oh, I feel a bit bit weird. And then... By the time I finished the fence, which looked good by the end, well done. Um, I suddenly just felt really ill and and tired and and a bit cold, like like my skin was crawling. Oh my and so God. I lay down, I lay down and, and just got I put. I was shivering, put all my clothes on, put a duvet over me, and we watched Mary Poppins Returns, which uh, which is a good, really good film. <laughs> um, Very soothing. But, um, but then. Yeah, just felt awful all night, and then went went to bed. I was just s- soaking wet in bed, oh <laughs> shivering like God. fever. I was like, "Oh my God, I've 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 got it. I've got yes. this thing." And but I don't know how I got it from banging some. I think I got I gave myself whiplash or something. Oh bloody something, hell! Can that happen? Like I, I well, I, I or I thought maybe I'd give myself a migraine or. Yeah, that's um, really, Did you have tunnel vision? But, Any tunnel vision? No, I didn't have no. that. God, but then, that's really peculiar. Oh, this yesterday morning, I woke up and um, I was like, "Oh, I've got a cold sore," and and yeah, and by you know, a couple of hours later, it was fully blown uh, cold sore, and now it is absolutely horrific. So I can't I can't play the trumpet at all now. Oh that's, my god, that's it for what a two shame! Weeks. Having got the inspiration, <laughs> that's a real shame. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what a week, eh? That's paid yeah, ups no, and, and downs, hasn't it? I just. <laughs> I just had tried to have some lunch. And I can't. It's so painful to eat anything. My yeah. my whole mouth and that oh, so sorry, God. everyone. I, yeah. Well, as we were I just did get saying, the virus, yeah. but um, a, a different virus. Yeah, as we were just saying, it's quite a good thing that you can't see people through podcasts. Yeah, then. you do not want to look at us right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one thing you've been with me. Well, well no, because that um, leads on to my little story, which is oh yes, that's a very sad story. So today I was feeling a bit glum. I was feeling a bit, you know, locked down, crazy. And so I thought I'll zip out, go and do an emergency wine run. Uh, had a nice wander. I was feeling really happy thinking, oh, the sun's out. Everything's not that bad, really. It's all fine. 
got into the queue for wine and uh, in front of me, I was having a chat with this lady. I was a little bit resentful about that anyway, because I was just quite enjoying my own time. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was sort of chatting away and, uh, and she turned around and she said, uh, so um, when are you, when's the next one due then? And I said, oh, I'm sorry, no. what? And she went, she repeated it. She didn't stop there. She said, when's the next one due? And I, <laughs> I what? mean, I just, when things were looking better, there we are. Apparently now, despite <laughs> running, despite, you know, eating slightly better this week, I look like I might be about six months pregnant, it seems. <laughs> oh dear, oh blooming dear. <laughs> well, you, you look radiant, well, I must say. <laughs> thanks, Seb. I know but what I can that only means. see from your shoulders up. Well, lucky what, what's you. What's going on with the rest of your body? Absolutely lucky you. It's like when your parents say you're looking healthy. I think that must be the thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So, did you feel um, horrendous after that? I mean, I sucked in my stomach and uh, I ploughed on. I bought an extra bottle of wine to cheer myself up. And now I've just wow. done the Tesco's run and I've bought all the carbs and all the sugars. So, to be honest, <laughs> has done nothing for me. <laughs> wow. That, what a thing to say to someone in the shop. I know. That's not a good thing to say, is it? You're not meant to say that. Never. I mean, don't ever risk it. Not even if somebody has is carrying twins and and <laughs> ready to pop. Don't say it. <laughs> no, that's right. Do not say it. Um well, uh, I was speaking of people being six months pregnant. I, I, my wife's six months pregnant. I don't know if, um, of course she is. I, I haven't right. mentioned that on here, but not, not everyone knows, but you do now. If you made it this far into the podcast, you do now. Uh, so <laughs> How's she doing? Well, she's, she's doing all right, yeah. She's, um, Good. She was Googling this morning because she, she, was, uh, she thought, I must be about as big as I'm going to get by now, surely. Yeah. And she went on to Mum's Net and they... Uh, She's like, oh, right, it's going to triple in size. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's so okay. She's, as I long think as she started to go, oh, my God. Yeah. It's all, it's all getting real. Yeah. As long but, as she's uh, not at the stage where she's sitting in a chair and just crying and being fed from a chair that's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's right i think that's how that's what we're going to be doing we're both going to be crying and drinking through straws by the end of <laughs> this weekend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> lovely 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 uh, now if you, if you want to help us out uh to get this uh, get this podcast out there the one thing you can do the best thing you can do is to uh share the podcast somehow if you go on to uh facebook or twitter or instagram just uh, just share it let let some friends know um you don't have to give us any money we we haven't set that up you could send us but i mean if you want, want to uh, you can <laughs> if you've got my bank details um yeah. but Pop uh, them in the link. yeah and also if you if you could go on to uh, apple podcasts and uh and leave a little review and rate it that really helps yes um, that gets and i think it's different if you're in different uh regions in the world there's different apple stores um so i think like the American one has different reviews to the uh, UK store, Does things it? like that. So if you're in a foreign country and you like it, then please just put five five stars ought to do it, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Thank you. Um, and yeah. give our Spotify playlist a listen. Uh, it will be updated oh, yes. this week. There was a whole oh, yeah. lot in this podcast that Charles recommended uh, and we referenced. So have a listen. It's getting more and more eclectic as we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I need to go through and uh, work out all those all those many different bits of music that Charles mentioned. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to get interesting. Yeah. Good uh, playlist to pop on if you're not sure what, 
what to listen to. Um, so, uh, right, there we go. That's episode four. Well done, Verity. We did it. Well done, Seb. And uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.